there's a lot of things written out there about the roles of men and women and husbands and wives. And here has been given to us a few things for us to consider and pray through. But I also want to say this, that if you're here, anybody that is here this morning, and you haven't submitted your heart to Jesus Christ, you're not going to be able to do these things unless you do that first. And so I pray that as we understand how Christ loved us, as he went to Calvary's cross, he, he died on that cross for you. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. The woman chooses in humility to say, I submit to the headship, to my husband. Not because he's better, not at all. But because that's the way God has designed it. And in humility and obedience, I know that that's going to set me free to what God wants me to be. It was interesting. I was reading an article out of National Geographic. I remember reading it um, a few years ago, and I dug it back up. In National Geographic, in in March of 2002, there's an article on a two-headed snake. And this two-headed snake that they found there in Spain, it's the snake is Elafi scalaris is the scientific name. Eight inches long, non-poisonous snake. But scientists found this snake that was two heads, and they took it and they studied it for almost a year. That's how long it lived. And what they discovered was that the snake lived its life, its short life, very, very confused. And in that confusion, it had great difficulty deciding which way to go, how to respond to attack, which head would eat the prey. And it's interesting that snakes operate uh, on a great deal of smell. So if one of the heads smelled some prey, oftentimes he would attack the other head and try to swallow it. So it didn't last very long. It would end up dying, you know, long before the expected lifespan of of those kinds of snakes. But they made these observations of confusion and, and frustration and undeciding which way to go and things like that. You see, two heads, it doesn't work. And that's why God gives order here. And if there is fighting that is going on in the home of who is the head, who will take the lead in being the leader spiritually, providing a covering and protection for your family. If the husband and wife are fighting over that position, and I understand there's different circumstances for some of you that are out there. But if the husband and wife are fighting over that position, if there are two heads, there's going to be confusion. And you're going to be striking at one another. And it doesn't work. So, It's a loving father that says, here's the plan. That in the home, the husband is to be in authority, not because he's better than the woman, but this is the way that I'm regulating it to be. It's a divine design. It's the right order. But there's something worth noting here, men, as we look at that. Christ is the head of every man, it says here. So guys, in this headship, in this leadership that we have been given By God, through his word, we need to understand what that means, that you and I are under the authority of Christ, which means that you and I are to be godly men in submission to the Lord, seeking the Lord, loving your wife, being gentle and kind and protecting and cherishing 
and serving her and laying down your life for her. Just as we saw the example of Jesus when he was here on this earth ministering to us, that he is one that is the head of the church and we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We are to be thinking about her well-being. So being the head over the woman is a huge, huge responsibility that we need to, as men, husbands, really consider what that means and to seek the Lord about it. It does not mean that you're this big, arrogant oath that rules over your wife with, with pride and arrogance or force or whatever. And I don't believe that's the kind of interpretation or understanding that the Scripture gives at all about the headship and the responsibilities that men that we have been given in the home. Again, a familiar verse in Ephesians 5. We've talked about it before. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. How did Christ love the church? He served the church. He laid down his life. He was tender-hearted. He was compassionate. He was kind. He was one that was willing to give up his life for the church. And that's the way we're to love our wives. He loved the church unconditionally. You love your wife unconditionally. And you're desiring for her to do well in the things of God and to bring cherishing and protection and a covering over her. That's what's being emphasized in the Scriptures as our responsibility, amen. And you are in submission to Christ and pray about what does that mean? What does it mean? Where am I falling short in that? He goes on and he says, verse 4, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is, it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. So what's Paul saying here? Because this passage has been the subject of many interesting debates and discussion among Christians. Paul tells us because of this order of authority, it is inappropriate for men to pray under a head covering and inappropriate for women to pray without a head covering. And the whole idea of head coverings was important in this culture. You see, to wear a head covering was a public symbol of being under the authority and protection of another. So what's going on here? When Paul says that a man disgraces or dishonors his head, not his head physically, but his authority... And, and if he has something on his head while praying and prophesying, I believe there is cultural consideration here. Paul's going to say that in verse 16. But Paul here referring to a local Corinthian custom, that phrase, having his head covered, literally means having down from head. If you have a different translation than in King James, it might be referring to and translated a veil. So the context here implies that in Corinth, such a head covering would have been completely ridiculous for a man and completely proper for a woman. And if a man came into the meeting with a veil on, it was like he was saying, I am not taking on the responsibility and command of being the head of my house, of my family, of my wife. As, as if he was saying, I am not in authority here, and I don't want to be. But my wife is, and on the same principle, the woman who prays or prophesies with their head uncovered is saying, I am not under authority here. And since God has established the head of woman as man, it would be dishonoring to men, and it would be to your husband if you prayed or prophesied with no head covering. You are saying, I am not in humility and obedience going to submit to the leadership and authority of my husband and what God has set up. So I'm going to assert my independence. So understand that Paul's emphasis here for us this morning, I don't believe is 
the wearing or not wearing of head coverings in and of itself. So that's not the emphasis, but the emphasis is our God-ordained roles. And if you rebel against that, it's not good. It's not pleasing in the sight of God. So in Corinth, that rebellion against what God has ordained was demonstrated by women praying or prophesying with their heads uncovered. So I do not believe that Paul is laying down this universal principle that Christian women should always worship with their heads covered. And then Paul talks about if she... um, it is shameful for a woman to be, to, to be shaved. Then let her be covered. What's that all about? Well, as we talked about in Corinth, there was a temple that was dedicated to the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And every evening, there'd be a thousand temple prostitutes that would come out of Corinth, go throughout the city. They would commit themselves to immorality to, as an act of worship to Aphrodite. And these women had shaved heads. That's how you knew that they were prostitutes coming from that temple. So the women of Corinth, when they were out in public, they would wear a veil because it was a sign of modesty. They were not one of those, those prostitutes or harlots that were coming out of the temple. And so the women would wear a veil for her protection because no man would approach a woman or flirt with a woman who was covered with a veil. And that still holds true today. Matter of fact, for those of us, when we go to Israel, when we have a meeting right before we go, and we start talking about some of the cultural things that you need to know about, one of the things that you need to know that when we're in Israel or anywhere when you're in the Middle East or other parts of the world, you would not think and you do not approach a woman who's wearing a veil. That is very, very inappropriate. So I do believe that there is a cultural aspect to this. Paul is saying this, that men take on the responsibilities that you have as the head of the woman or the wife. Paul also talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And take on the responsibility, the leader spiritually that God has called you to, to, to be. Again, as he emphasized that in Ephesians chapter 5. And women in humility, submit to your husbands as the leader. And then Paul tells us why it's important to respect the principle of headship in the church. Verse 7. For a man indeed ought to not to cover his head, since he is the image, the glory of God, but woman, the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. Now, guys, this is real important. And I hope you're blessed by this, and, and, and I hope God speaks to you. But here, as Paul writes, that in this, that the man is the glory of God. And we know that that word glory there can be translated or it means very apparent. It might even be translated in some Bibles, reflection. Men, again, we need to go to the Lord and say, am I a reflection of the glory of God in some way, somehow? Are you men the reflection of God's glory in how you live your lives? And when our kids look at us, when our wives look at us, when people at work look at us, when others in the body of Christ look at us, do they see in some way the reflection of the glory of God being worked out in our lives? And Jesus, of course, everywhere that he went when he was on this earth, he perfectly demonstrated the the glory of God. He demonstrated the love of God. Everything that he did, everything that he said, And the life and ministry that he had was a reflection of God's glory. And that's what drew people to the multitudes to seek him out 
And hear his words. Because they caught, they saw the reflection of a glory of God. It was very apparent, the love of the Father. And that's why he would claim there in that upper room, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And this is a question that each one of us men that we need to consider as we go to the Lord. Lord, in some way, am I being a reflection of you? Am I reflecting your love and your compassion and your kindness? Am I reflecting your truth in my life that my wife and my children, that people at work and in my neighborhood and people in the body of Christ see? We are the reflection of God's glory. And then it says that the woman is a reflection of, of man's glory. In other words, as we do that, men, I believe that will have an effect on our wives. We're all to, to represent God's glory or be a reflection of God's glory in some way. Somehow, as we grow in Christ, as the witness of Christ is radiated in us. But men, as you really pray about that and take the lead in that, that's going to help your wife in that as well. And she's, as she submits herself to you, she's going to be following after that. And you're both going to be benefited and blessed by that. So here he continues as he says, The woman is the glory of man, for man is not from the woman, but woman from man, nor was man created for woman, but woman for the man. Men, we've been divinely ordained and commissioned to be the image and glory of God, and that includes headship and leading. And we know that women, we've been, you've been called to in obedience and in submission and in, in humility to follow after your husband, to encourage him. Paul goes back here to creation. He created Adam there in the garden. He breathed life into him. When he created Adam, he looked at Adam who was alone and said, this is not good. And so you know how God caused Adam to go into a deep sleep and took a rib out of Adam and made Eve. And God brought Eve to Adam. And he said, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh because she is my helpmate now or my, the completer for Adam. She was created for him. No, not that, that she should be in a subservient position but that she might help the man, the husband, complete him, compliment him. So wives, here's another consideration. I believe that's where you're going to find real fulfillment. That your ministry will be most fulfilling in your life so effective in pleasing your husband. God did not create you to be intellectually or morally or spiritually or functionally inferior to men. But you do have a unique role and being a helper suitable for your husband. And as you do that, ladies, wives, you will have blessing and fulfillment as you're committed to him. Be supportive of him. You want your husband to succeed in their walk with the Lord in life, and you delight in doing that. So as you both understand your roles as husband and wife together, understanding and going to the Lord and submitting to the Lord together in that, you're going to see that the Lord's going to bless that marriage. He's going to bless your home as you do that. And wives, you're a completer for him. And I know for my wife, Sue, for the last 20 years, she has greatly benefited me and been that completer for me. And I've been richly and greatly blessed because of her ministry and encouraging me to be the leader in the home and praying for me and allowing me to do that. And together, as, as we consider these things, and we're still growing in these things as well, that our home has been blessed. And there's peace in our home. 
And, and there's peace in the church when we understand that there's order that has been set up. So it's a matter, it is, of humbling all of us in the roles that God has given to us and saying, Lord, I hear you. And Lord, help me to do that. And help me to be humble and, and, and trust what your word has to say. You see, first of all, we've got to believe that this is true for us. We have to believe that, God, your word is true. And even though the other voices of the world all around me scream to do differently, that I hear what your word says, so help me to understand what that means in the biblical sense as I humble myself to you in whatever role that God has given to you. And then he goes on and he says as we quickly continue, for this reason in verse 10, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Isn't that interesting? He speaks of the angels. I think it's interesting to think that there may be angels here in the meeting. We can't see them. So Paul says that a woman ought to have this symbol of authority because the angel's watching. So there's been much debate on this. And, and I have a suggestion, perhaps, what he may be speaking of. You see, the angels are sensitive. They're watching. And they are sensitive to order and obedience in the congregations. Why? Because they saw what happened in heaven when there was pride and when there was rebellion and insurrection, right? Satan, as we know, Lucifer, he was one that rebelled. He didn't want to submit to God. He didn't want to submit to the order that God is the king of the universe. He wanted to sit on the throne. He wanted to be like the Most High. So he led a rebellion. And a third of those angels fell and are damned because of that. So could it be that they're real sensitive to this, to this whole issue of, of of headship and order and, and to rebellion and insurrection when there is taking place. So he says, because of the angels, be sensitive to what has taken place. There's to be order to be observed in the church, a principle of headship that you need to understand. And when that doesn't happen, the angels understand that they're watching. And so Paul giving us some interesting insights. So in verses 7 through 9, is, he talks about the manner of creation. Verse 10, uh, as he talks about the angels, he says there needs to be an understanding because there is a divine order that God has set up. And in the church, ladies, it does not mean that, that again, as we talk about headship in the church, it does not mean, ladies, that you're under the authority of every man in the church. That's ridiculous. You are to submit to your husband, your own husband, as the scripture says. There is leadership in the church. And again, we as leaders have an authoritative role. And what that means is not ruling with arrogance. What that means is not ruling and lording over others. The leadership of the church, I believe, the scripture indicates, again, is a huge responsibility, an awesome responsibility to where we are to be servants. And we are to be humble before the Lord. And as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we're not here to rule over you, but to be helpers of your joy. It does not mean that women cannot play an important role in serving in the church. Of course they do. Women that serve here in the church at Calvary Chapel play a very vital role in blessing the church. And they're a tremendous help to me. And I very much respect and appreciate their service to God and to the body of Christ. But I do need to let you know that I've appointed men to be the elders because I believe that's what Scripture indicates and that's the way that God desires for it to be in the church in the order that he's established. 
He says in verse 11, Nevertheless, neither is man independent of women or woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through the woman, but all things are from God. In other words, as far as the Lord is concerned, we're all on equal par. Men and women need each other, and in the church we need the women to play such an important role, a vital role in serving here. And they do have a vital role to play in the church. And I am so thankful for you. For you ladies who serve here in the church and have been doing it faithfully. And I very much appreciate it and respect it. And I'm at awe in how you bless the body of Christ. The authority that men have, remember, have been given to us by God, not to Lord over, but for the purposes of God and to bring glory and honor to Him. And a man as a fellow creature has no innate superiority to women and has no right to use his authority selfishly. So men and women are used to complement each other, to help each other, work together, together, even though God has given us different roles. And as we finish this morning, judge among yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. And then verse 16, but if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. So Paul says, look for yourselves, judge for yourselves what even nature tells us, or that is an innate sense of what is right or wrong or normal. So for a woman in that culture to pray in public with her head uncovered, she would be, in a sense, trying to be taken on the role or acting like a man. And for a man to have long hair, it's a dishonor. Now, what is Paul not saying here? Because I heard this, and, and guys have been beat up on this, and maybe perhaps you've heard this taught, that if you have long hair, guys, it's a sin. Is that what Paul says? He says it dishonors. My question has always been to those who feel that way, how long is long? I was just out in California this week, and there's some guys out there, you know, <laughs> hair all over the place. And they're being used of God, and they love the Lord. So how long is long? And I believe what Paul is saying here is, is you really look at it, actually you can look at the Greek word for it. It can mean long hair. It also means a nice hairdo kind of fixing up your hair to look like a lady. So in, in most cultures, women's hair is longer. What is Paul saying, essentially? I think what he's saying is that it's wrong for a man to take on the appearance of a woman. I believe that the main emphasis here is Paul is saying that there shouldn't be confusion about male and female's identities because God has made the sexes distinct. God wants men to be men. And guys, there's a lot of voices out there and there's even books in Christian circles about how it is that you're to be a man. You model yourself after the man's man, Jesus Christ. And you take on that humility and that servant's heart and that compassion. And you follow after Christ. He was a man's man. And he was one that, that showed us and displayed to us how it is that we are to be as men and to love our families, our wives, and our children. And women, take on the roles, wives, that you have, lovingly submissive to men. So by all means, take on your responsibilities and the roles that God has given to you that we, again, may be blessed in the home, that we may be blessed in our marriages, that we can be blessed in the church here as we go to the Lord, all of us in humility, and saying, Lord, we hear you, You've set up a divine order, and what does that mean? That we all may be benefited. 
and that we can experience the things that you have for us and bring that peace and joy into our lives. I just want to say this. I pray that that takes place. Folks, there's a lot of things written out there about the roles of men and women and husbands and wives. And here has been given to us a few things for us to consider and pray through. But I also want to say this, that if you're here, anybody that is here this morning, and you haven't submitted your heart to Jesus Christ, you're not going to be able to do these things unless you do that first. And so I pray that as we understand how Christ loved us, as he went to Calvary's cross, he, he died on that cross for you. Because there's no hope of salvation or forgiveness of sin apart from Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And as you surrender your heart, you have eternal life and the Spirit of God comes into you and and you have freedom, free from the world and the bondage of sin. And then, then you can live for Him and what He has for you and what He's called you to be in life. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.